Today, we welcome back to the show Coach Mark Cassio from Catholic High School in Louisiana. Coach Cassio first appeared on a quick timeout in the late summer of 2019. In our most popular episode of all time, he and I talked about conceptual offense and specifically his drive and space offense. In today's episode, he's back to answer questions about that offense. This episode is actually from an Instagram live recording we did last month, so please forgive some of the audio. The content is still great, and hopefully it can be of help to you and your program. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Coach Mark Cassio. Let me go ahead and just formally introduce Coach Cassio. Um, a lot of you probably, if you're tuning into this, already know who he is, but he's from down at Catholic High School in Louisiana. And uh, Coach, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, man, I appreciate you thinking of me. So let's kind of talk a little, just a little bit about uh, the basics of your offense. Um, how is it different from maybe like typical motion offense? Uh, you and I did a podcast earlier this year. Actually, it was the end of, of 2019, I guess it was. That kind of talks a little bit more in depth about those things, but um, kind of to give people maybe that haven't listened to that an idea, if you want to just kind of give them a summary of what the offense looks like, and then we can kind of get into details from there. Sure. So uh, it started as a four out offense and uh, just recently, the past two seasons, we've adapted it to be five out, but it's uh, an atypical alignment. So uh, it's not your normal five out motion alignment. And um, I kind of evolved from a traditional motion coach into what we run now, which is more of a drive and space attack. And I would say what makes us different is the number one thing we're trying to do is create space feel like if we do that, we can put defense at a disadvantage. And um, if we can create space and, and, and allow our guys to utilize their skills, I feel like that's going to put more pressure on any defense because if your defense uh, or if your offensive attack is, is screening, I, I feel like most defenses are prepared for that. So say 100% of the Coaches I know can defend a down screen and, and know how to do that. But I think when you attack with pace and space, uh, that's when coaches really have to make trade-offs on what they're going to do in their game plan. When we talk about a number of possessions, I was asking this even among like high school coaches today, but for you typically, what does that look like? Uh, at least 60 possessions a game. Uh, if we get, you know, one of our, our – coaches charts possessions for us and uh one thing we're always talking about at the end of the game is like yeah i made it to page three on the possession chart so uh the last two years we've been above 1.1 points per possession um so we're right in line with the more possessions uh the better for uh, i'll go ahead and just kind of a disclaimer so we spent basically almost the entire summer looking into the stuff that coach cassio does and uh ran it this last year and to give you an idea we were up from about 83 possessions a game to almost about 90 possessions a game uh, we went from about I think it was around like 66 points per game this year we were averaging close to like 81 points per game and we had some better talent than we did a year ago but I, I think we were in the end uh, second all-time in in points per game for the program and that was with players that weren't like the highest level, but I mean, they were good players, but I would say a large part of it was, be was because of the offense that we ran. Um, you want to kind of give ideas to, you were talking about it through the introduction, uh, just introducing the offense. But one of the things that really stuck out to me last summer when we were talking through this, you made a comment 
you actually commented on it multiple times. Like it turns average average shooters into above average shooters and above average shooters into great shooters. Obviously, if you work on that, um, I saw it after last year. I mean, our team as a, as a whole, you, it, it took those average players to the next level. Um, you know, assuming that you are working on shooting a lot, can you kind of talk about why that happens? Yeah. So, um, like you said, uh, with with better players, any offensive system is going to be better, um, obviously. But what we try to do is just increase our players what we call added value. So just, you know, we have player A, how can we make him a A plus? Or we have player X, how can we make him an X plus? Um, that could be isolating him in the post or, or just different ways to find him to score. But in reference to shooting, uh, the biggest thing that we do is create stationary threes. Uh, we are not big on screening and coming off staggers and, and having to square our shoulders, set our feet, find balance to make shots. We want our guys to carry a lot of, uh, you know, drive and kick. So passes are coming from inside out, which is where most shooters practice from, and your shoulders and your feet are already square to the rim. So uh, as a team this year, I, I'm not sure where we finished. I think a little bit below this, but most of the year we shot 38%. Uh, from three as a team, and that's not with knockdown shooters. We had a couple, but uh, most of our other guys could just make the stationary inside out ones, but that's what we shoot 90% of the time. We actually went up from about 29% as a team last year, and this year we were at about 35%. So it made a huge difference for our team, and it's kind of like what you said, it's creating those catch-and-shoot opportunities, which most players are a little bit better at than having to feel like they're forced coming off a dribble or something like that. So um, aside from those skills, the hot topic now is like decision-making skills. So what what decision-making skills would you say like rank at the top of this offense? Um, you were kind of cut there, but I think I got the, uh, the question. is What decision-making skills are we breaking down? Well, what are you breaking down, but like what, what are the most important in this offense? Um. Well, the, the most important, I think, skill that we teach our guys is decision-making. And uh, there's a lot that goes into that. So when you're playing in space, um, you know, just like the, the typical dribble drive, I think the, the downfall is you're creating space but not much else. Uh, a lot of stagnant, um, you know, a lot of ball watching, pounding the ball. So uh, what we try to do is create space and advantages. So when we're – put our offense at a small advantage the best thing that you can do is play with vision and on every single catch we really emphasize fighting for feet fighting for vision uh, because that allows you to play in the present you know you're most open on the catch which means there's really no predetermined actions on your catch it's it's seeing the game and reading the game and making great decisions so um, I would say the best way that we anytime you start Start offense at an advantage, whether that's a big advantage or a small advantage. It sounds, this always sounded backwards to me, but if you wanted to work offense, it seems like you would start neutral or at a disadvantage. But, you know, as we started developing this, these concepts and stealing just from other people, it's when you put offense at an advantage, that actually forces the decision making because you're forcing second level help and rotation. So now you're having to, um, you know, make plays for yourself or a teammate off the bounce. I'll just add to that. We worked a ton this year on finishing, you know, being able to, 
you know, that was kind of the end result was the finishing, but going back before that, the decision of, you know, reading the closeout, am I doing a baseline drive? Am I shooting the ball? Am I, um, you know, passing one more pass ahead? Um, so, I mean, it sounds a lot simple. I mean, it sounds really simple, but being able to be good at it, it, it took the entire year. How, how long would you say it has taken your team or, or when do you feel comfortable with a, with an offense? I know it varies based off what your talent is from year to year, but like for you to be able to put in a system like this, how, how comfortable are you? How soon, how comfortable are you? Yeah, you know, um, I'm fortunate that I'm in year seven of, of running this with, with my current team. So um, it would be tough to go back to a, to a first year running this and just to see, but uh, coaches, you get better every year teaching it. Um, I would say it depends on your off season. Obviously the more time you have in the offs, better. Uh, but that we do and, and the way you can really um, install this fairly quickly is incorporated into everything that you do. So you made a great point of closeouts where more than an arm, you're probably a shooter, less than an arm's length, you're probably a driver. Um, if the de defense is just there on the catch, we're neutral and then we're moving the ball. So uh, we utilize count methods. So one count shot would be your, the second the ball hits your, your hands. Two count might be you start your shot. And then as you see close out and start your drive, uh, by the time our count gets to three, we better be moving the ball. Uh, so we incorporate that in the shooting drills as well. We might say, um, let's shoot three one counts, which would mean three, three catch and shoots. And then our one, let's do a one, one count drive on a rep. Let's do a two, two count drive, which means we're going to start the shot and stop it. Um, so I would just say before you're, you're killing two birds with one stone, not isolating those skills. And we, we try not to isolate skill development and offense because we see offense as an applicant. Really, to us, when we're working skills, we're working offense. And when we're working offense, we're just applying the skills that we already have learned. So um, I think if coaches are really intentional about planning that and, and really having a deep understanding of how those things mesh, um, then year one, you've got a really good shot to put that foundation in. But um, a lot of the coaches that I talk to and work with, um, I have to constantly remind them that, that it's year one and this thing only gets better and better. I would say just go on to that, you know, the, the three count and that kind of thing. Some coaches may be listening to this. I know you and I have had conversations with people online. They're like, you know, it sounds like it doesn't sound like anything different than what, what the kinds of things that other people are already doing. It kind of is and it kind of isn't, but, you know, one way that I put it is you've basically packaged everything and, you know, you even said like the three count, that's something that has really helped our players like internalize and understand this is what good ball movement looks like. Like everybody's on the sideline screaming, move the ball, move the ball, move the ball, but it's something as simple as that where you're like vi verbally counting one count, two count, three count, uh, no, you're out, that, that's a turnover. Like those kinds of things that the, in the package I feel like is what makes it different from, from some of the things that other, other coaches are doing. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, mean, I, I think you have the nail on the head. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, the, Chris Oliver calls it zero-second decision-making with zero seconds, too. Uh, the Spurs call it .5. You got a half a second. Um, I think those are both great ways to do it. Uh, for I even know late in the season – when we faced better and better defenses, we were really on our guys about one count decisions, uh, 
especially against the zone. Now, you know, we don't employ a lot of player movement against the zone. We really focus on circulating the ball with pace. Um, so our game plans a lot of time will be we're not changing what we're doing, but we need to make sure that we're making one-count decisions and not letting that ball stick. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's really important. And, and like you said, it's very similar to what other people are doing. What we do is not um, – it's not earth-shattering. Uh, but I do think the way, like you said, the way we package it together and, and mesh everything and just really streamline, very simple, so you can cut really deep. And I think when your players have a deeper understanding of what you're doing, it's them to continue to get better. I will say this before anybody clicks out and like, oh, they're just doing, they basically said they're just doing what everybody else is doing. They're not, we're not doing what everybody else is doing. Uh, I'll give you a testimonial about it in just a few moments here, but it kind of goes into what I want to talk about next. So I know it was a long time ago since you had year one, but even like introducing this to new players, what would you say are maybe kind of some bottlenecks that you encounter in a, in either a first year in implementing this system or implementing this the first time with new players? Uh, man, one thing that comes to mind is respecting spacing. So, I, uh, and, and I, and you're right, you know, it's been, it's been a while since I've done a first year with my program, but I, you know, I've obviously helped other teams and coaches kind of develop this and make it their own, but, um, biggest, you know, the, the common denominators are my players come out of the corners on drives. Um, uh, we don't have a drop zone, so we don't do any kickups. Uh, so really that, that gives our players a home base to stay in that corner. Because, again, we want to shoot those stationary threes. Uh, the NBA values corner threes not really because it's the shortest shot. You know, those guys can shoot from 30 feet. Uh, it's because your shots in the corner are typically stationary because they're coming inside out uh, or they're coming off extra passes. Um, so having those stationary corner threes, getting those guys to hold their spacing, really important. And then the next thing is, is to teach players um just gap integrity just we don't want to drive through single gaps we want to drive through double and triples so what we do is we have some some coordinated movement that we run to create double and triple gaps uh but the biggest thing is is getting players to recognize what type of gap do i have if i've got a double gap to my right and a single gap to my left i can make that single gap a triple gap for my teammate and I think once players understand those concepts, that's when it becomes more of a style of play than an offense because uh, they understand that, again, at the end of the day, we're just creating spacing for our teammates. Um, and then also I, I think the hardest part once you get the spacing and concepts down is uh, recognizing advantages. Um, that, that really helps your shot selection, which our effective field goal percentage has been around 60% the last two years. Um, and it's not because we have unbelievable players. We have really good players. They're not great or unbelievable. But, um, you know, we're, we're taking because we're using small advantage to find bigger advantage shots. I would say the more film I watch of the high school, uh, most shots are, are teams that struggle with field goal percentage or shot selection. It, it, it's just – their players don't realize they have no advantage or very little advantage and there's big, bigger advantages on the floor. I will say this, um, you know, going back again to what we were talking about, uh, 
you know, but the, the one count, two count, three count that leads to the knowing when to drive or how to drive. And it kind of goes into with like ball movement and player movement. Um, I'm thinking about us and, and the things that we encountered in year one. It was hard at the very beginning for them to keep the ball moving. And that ended up kind of uh, destroying the, the coordinated movements that you just talked about, which then ended up ruining the gaps that we had. So it was kind of like all those things kind of worked together to cause problems at the beginning. But once we got past those, you know, I think even like uh, something that you said and that you talk about a lot, but, but having gone through it a whole year, we actually came back to this at the end. And the, the statement is, who's stopping me? Who's stopping me? Who's stopping me? Who's stopping me? Because at, at some point, actually, towards the end of the year, it actually went to the other direction of they were just moving the ball so much that we weren't ever trying to score. I mean, I know that sounds kind of stupid, but like we were so concerned with like moving the ball, moving the ball, moving the ball, moving the ball, that like there were double and triple gaps that they could have driven towards because they had small advantages, but they were more so concerned with like keeping the ball moving that we missed opportunities to score. I don't know if that makes sense or if you've seen that happen before. Yeah, it does. And that's a great point of, of just a reminder of who is stopping me. So Typically, if it's your defender stopping you, that's going to be a tough shot. Um, if, you, if you're drawing help, secondary defenders, if they're stopping you, there's probably a better play to make. Uh, we're really big on stopping off two feet. I mean, when you stop with two feet in the paint, not only can you help, uh, but you're stopping with balance. So now you're going to be a higher percentage but also the game has slowed down to where you're reading the help, you're seeing uh, teammates around the perimeter uh, where you can make the best play. And then, um, you know, we, we also come into that situation where we'll pass up a layup for a three, and I've got to, you know, I look at my guards, and I'm like, hey, man, shoot a layup, you know? Like, we, we yeah. want points. We're trying to score. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so picture this, the anatomy of a, of a possession is really spacing and then your, your decision-making or your application of skills. Like you were saying, just focus on moving the ball so y'all were missing out on some of the, the coordinated movement or, or create actions. Um, when, you can, when you can arrive and, and with pace in the full court, that's almost my favorite time to play is where you're going straight from spacing to the decision-making part, because that means you're being across half, half court with a built-in advantage where you've got a five-on-four, or maybe if it's even five-on-five, five, but defense just isn't set yet. They haven't matched up where you're not neutral. Uh, my favorite possessions are where we're just make or miss, coming across half court, getting a paint touch, kicking it out one more. Maybe we drive it again for a layup or another kick out. Uh, that's when I know, one, we're making really great decisions. The pace is in our favor, uh, and our guys are being really unselfish. Somebody asked about the coordinated movements. Uh, I don't want you to talk too much about that because, in my opinion, like that's where the magic is, and that's where I feel like you know you need to go to a clinic that, that Coach is running to be able to see kind of what we're talking about. But you've, you've kind of tipped your hand to it. It's basically creating those double and triple gaps, and probably people, as they sit there, they're thinking like, oh, that's read and react. You just pass and cut, pass and cut, pass and cut. I'm just going to tell you that it's not that, it, and it, it – this is where I had we, we got finished playing this year, a Division One team that made the tournament. And if I told you who they were, like, I mean, they they did really well last year. Um, 
at the end of the game, the head coach comes up to our head coach and he goes, I know what you guys were trying to do with creating those gaps and our guys couldn't stay in front of us. So that's that's a team that's a Division One team that had just been into the NCAA tournament last year. It was playing us with non-scholarship players. We didn't beat them, but it, it was it was because of those coordinated movements and the gaps that they were creating and the ball movement that we were able to have. Um, kind of talk to this too, the ball movement. You know, we talk a lot about like first side, second side, third side. Um, I think that you keep track of that for your team, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Do you guys keep track of field goal percentages, first, second, third? Have you at some point at least? Uh, I would say what we, we, we do more of, it's, it's pretty related. Um, we keep track of just small advantage, big advantage. And so if we find ourselves taking a lot of small advantage shots, then we to look at, are we shooting too early? You know, like, are, are we are we taking tough shots at the rim, those tough twos that, that we all want to force our opponents into? Um, we have bigger advantages and we're not finding them, or are we just not creating them? Uh, and then that's when we will get to maybe second, third side stuff or incorporate some screens into what we do. Um, but, yeah, you know, as far as the coordinating movement goes, it's uh, – it's really every cut is designed to create space. Uh, we will set some rubs. We set some, um, you know, some some clear outs. Uh, it, it's like you said. It's it's not act. I mean, it's. I had somebody talk to me today about learning our motion, and it's, it's it's not motion. It's not dribble drive. It's somewhere right in between. I think that's why people have been drawn to it. Um, it's because it can. You know, depending on your opponent or depending on your, your tactics for a specific game, they can look completely different. Um, I think that the compliment that the Division One coach gave y'all is we get the same one, and that's the biggest compliment you can give. Is like a, a coach in our district this past year said, like, man, like what y'all do is not that complicated. We just can't stop it because y'all are so y'all are spaced so well. And that's kind of what, yeah. I, what I said in the introduction is, you know, coaches can game plan for read and react. Uh, you know, jump ball, you know, let your teammate through a screen or jump to the ball front to cutter. But coaches have a really hard time preparing for transition offense and great spacing because, again, you have to give up something. I mean, if you're going to stop our transition, maybe you don't send guys to the boards. Well, all of a sudden our rebounding percentage is going up and our pace is going up because we're getting clean rebounds. Or – um, if you're going to stay space to, to counter our, our big spacing, then we get better shots at the rim. Or if you're going to, if you're going to help to take away our dribble drive, well, now we're getting those stationary one count threes. So, um, you know, it's just kind of one of those things where you're going to have to pick where you're going to be cold, you know, trying to beat us or, or lo eventually, hopefully losing to us with, if, um, I find the teams are more successful against us when they say, look, we're going to stop dribble penetration. That's it. Or we're going to stop the threes. That's it. I find when teams try to do both, that's kind of when we get to do whatever we want on offense. I would say in addition to that, you're, the defense is never playing against a set offense. They're constantly chasing something. And so once you get that first, that second side, third side, fourth side, that there's been so many, we haven't talked about this, but something that you'd hear if you went to one of coaches clinics, like we, the, you talk a lot about those East West closeouts, 
where somebody may have been trying to either stunt at the ball, but you know, somebody else is always moving because essentially you're playing with the guy next to you. You're always playing with the guy next to you and and it's creating those East West closeouts. And what you would learn is you attack those. And so the defense never gets to get set. Did you agree with that? Yeah. So uh, we talk a lot about North South closeouts, mostly, you know, closeouts coming from the basket. And we, we talk a lot about fighting for our feet and putting vision to the rim, which a lot of coaches already teach uh, the, well, the way we explain it to our players is when you when you check the rim on every catch, you're giving yourself north-south on every single catch. I can get to the rim. I'm putting pressure on my defender. Um, we love the east-west closeouts because that means our ball circulation has created an advantage where typically we've created a two-on-one on the weak side of the floor or a three-on-four on the weak side of the floor where now when we get that extra pass, um, we've got one defender covering two. So now his, his closeout's coming more from the sideline or baseline corner. Uh, it's really simple. It's catch shoot if we have that much space. If we don't have that much space, we have easy drive to the paint. We've kind of talked around it, but can you just real quickly, like small advantage, what is that? And big advantage, what is that? Yeah, so small advantage uh, simply is um, you've gotten shoulder to shoulder with your defender and uh, a defender's on my shoulder, either his shoulders here or his chest is here um, where we might be putting just enough pressure on the second line of defense to come help. Um, so that would be using our small advantage to create a big advantage or find a big advantage. A uh, big advantage would be um, there, there is no resistance from the defense from the primary defender. So maybe a, uh, it's a blow by or, my defender lunged into the passing lane, so he's behind me. Um, or it could be I've driven into the paint, collapsed the D when I kick out. If you've got a ton of space, well, then you've got a big advantage shot. Um, or obviously, like you said, um, the east-west closeout. When the ball has created a, an advantage for you, now you're at a big advantage. And your decision-making is, is, uh, becomes a lot easier then. Uh, you talked about earlier, you know, you guys are doing the five out now versus the four out one in. Has that been primarily personnel or do you like something about the five out that you weren't able to get in the four out one in? Five out gives us some spread ball screen spacing. Um, some some things I like about five out, just taking personnel out of it, is you're always reading perimeter help. Um, so there's less bodies around the rim. Even, you know, if you if you imagine just four out one in, spacing if i drive it in well i've got a post player in there which means there's a post defender in there post defender comes up if i can throw the lob to anthony davis uh, that play becomes really easy most of us don't have anthony davis's so what happens a lot of times is <clears throat> it's got to be big help comes over um, we cover down to take away the post I just think for a driver to see all of that action develop and then be able to stop or gnash and find the open man is a little bit harder in four out uh, than it is five out because five out, you're only reading perimeter help. So if you see help, you know perimeter players open. So it kind of, if you imagine a quarterback, it, it, you can go straight from like the deep ball to the check down. You don't have to go, you know, through three or four progressions to find the open man. But really, the five out was personnel-driven for us. Just our dedication to skill development 
uh, we became a positionless offense. And um, <clears throat> Steve Kerr made the positionless basketball really new and sexy. And it wasn't something that we intentionally did. Like I didn't say, I didn't set a goal for us to be positionless. It was just after four years of, of being at our, our current program with us dedicating so much time to skill development, we just didn't have a lot of post players anymore. Even our tall, we had a, you know, two years ago, our six, eight guy uh, was a really effective perimeter player. And also it got caught into if any former players are listening, I apologize, but sometimes mm -hmm. our, our fifth best player was not a one through five, you know, we had to put a post player in there because we were four out and he might've been our seventh or eighth best player. So now we can start the best five, uh, no matter what position they play. Could you just briefly kind of just describe what the movements are? If you have the one in somebody had to ask about like, what are the post movements? Are they traditional, like eye cut short corner or does it look different than that? Yeah. Very similar to dribble drive on, on all dribbles. Um, they're going to get opposite. We're going to tee up on baseline drives. We're going to, you know, play in the dunker spot. I would say the one thing that we do a little differently is if any time the ball is passed to your side, you have opportunity to post up. I know for us, um, you know, you didn't want to be the post guy because you were going to catch the ball the least amount of times because we're always just throwing dunk downs or lobs. I feel like adding that element of any time we snap it to your side or swing it to your side, that's your chance to post. Even if your guy or girl is not a great back-to-the-basket post player, you're still occupying that post defender. Um, I think if you run straight dribble drive, X5 has the easiest job on the floor. He's going to stand right in front of the rim for 32 or 40 minutes and not much else. But when you're, when you're occupying him with duck-ins and post-ups, now you're making him multitask within a possession. The next thing people are going to want to know is what happens when the ball goes down into the post, but you've got to go to one of coach's clinics for him to tell you that. So we're not going to cover that tonight. Okay. So um, some people have asked, and I even, we dealt with this this year running this and um, against maybe either a team that sags or a team that's playing the pack line. Do you do anything different? If you don't do anything different, what are you either trying to get or what, on that night is more open. Okay. Yeah. Great. Does that make sense? Yeah, great question. So the great thing about this system is it, it's not, <clears throat> it's not anything where we fear pack line or we fear pressure. It's just, again, those teams are choosing the way that they're willing to, to lose or the way they're trying to win. If you're pack line, you're obviously taking away our drive. Uh, so what we're going to do is, is obviously shoot a lot of threes or, or more threes. Uh, but we encourage our guys, if they're going to stop the dribble, what's the other thing you can do with it would be pass. So we just it's more about giving our players reminders where if they're in the gap uh, already, let's just move the ball with a pass. And then if you find if you can find enough rhythm and pace to that ball movement, you can get defense closing out. You know, we always talk about creating closeouts. Well, pack line teams, the last time I checked and the last time we ran pack line, we worked on closeouts probably more than anything because you close out all night. So we know there's going to be a lot of closeouts. Um, also, we emphasize with our guys is our paint, our first paint touch probably doesn't get it done. But what that is, that's the first domino. 
So if we can get that first domino to fall, if we get a paint touch, that means we're drawing help, which means we're kicking out, we're either shooting, or if we can keep that advantage by, by moving the ball with pace, once you get a defense in rotation, it doesn't matter what their pack line or pressure or zone, they're in rotation and they're, they're in, you know, they're trying to stay above water. So if you get them in rotation, you have advantage and now you're playing big advantage basketball. That's something we actually tracked. So I, I asked you about the first the sides of the floor. I tracked that a ton at the beginning of the year. And then I found like if you're running it the right way, you get two second side and third side all the time. But it was actually the paint touches and getting the two or more paint touches that you end up seeing your percentage go up, which I mean is obvious. Everybody I think knows that already. But this creates that if you can get your players to understand that, you end up with a lot more success for the reasons that you just said there. So um, let me see what else. Um, how, how how I had one coach ask me, like, how young would you start this? So if you had like a feeder program, how young would you start this with your teams, whatever, as whatever age that you say? And then in addition to that, do you – are you going to introduce the entire thing to them or are there just aspects of it that you're going to teach them? Yeah, that's a great question. So we, we actually don't have a feeder program. I wish I did, but we get a blank canvas every year when they step on our, our campus as a ninth grader. So I, I think that's a testament to how quickly you can develop this system. But if we did add feeder programs, I definitely, definitely not going to do everything. Just naturally you have less practice time. You have a shorter season. Uh, depending on the level of your, your youth coaches uh, would be a big, um, you know, decider of, of how much I'm going to do. But um, what I would do is is, is focus on spacing, um, you know, arriving spaced in the full court. And then you can break it down to just the basic cuts of where you're explaining single, double, and triple gaps and what we're going to pass through, what we're going to drive through. And then once you break the three-point line, Basketball is basketball. You know, whether it's an NBA team or a sixth-grade team, when you break the three-point line, you're either finishing or you're passing. You know, you're fighting the next play, depending on how the defense rotates. But um, <clears throat> I would say, um, you know, I, I've worked with coaches that are installed in their feeder program, and they're doing it as young as, you know, like third and fourth grade. Uh, I would say I'd be very skill-heavy and, and focus on advanced, small advantage, big advantage. I think the the biggest flaw at that level is they practice running an offense for 30 minutes every practice, and then you go throw them into their Saturday morning game, and they don't run the offense because that's not the level that they're prepared for yet. Um, but I would say, yeah, I mean, there's I would definitely start with the skill development part, add the spacing, add the cutting, and if you're developing a feeder program, just work backwards. What do I want them to know? when they step on the, the high school campus as a ninth grader, okay, well then start subtracting, subtract the most intricate thing. That's their eighth grade level. Subtract again, that's seventh grade and so on. Uh, kind of leads into kind of towards the end here, but uh, without explaining all of your drills, because I do want you to talk about the resources that you have available practices. What does that look like for your level? Uh, very competitive. Um, every, you know, we use a competitive cauldron, everything that we do, whether it's a shooting drill or, or a, a, you know, a competitive drill is tracked. So, um, I, 
I think when you compete, you, you raise focus, you raise engagement, you raise accountability. So we're always trying to do those things. Um, strong dedication skills. Uh, we try to multitask while working offense and defense together. We're big in the games-based approach, so a lot of small-sided games. Um, a lot of things in the full court. I think that's where I've grown the most over the last 10 years as a head coach is um, – you know, we, we used to only do the full court stuff at the end of practice. Now we, we almost always start in the full court. So we want to get as competitive as possible. We even compete really early in the full court, some transition stuff, and then go to our skill development stuff. We just find that our guys bring much more energy into that skill development section after they've already competed in some way. And then can you tell them about the resources that you have? Because I know some of those drills that you're, you're referring to are actually available for free. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> my website, coachcasio.com, is uh, – <clears throat> excuse me. I haven't updated that as regularly. There's a lot of resources on there in the archives. But um, my Twitter is at Coach Cassio. I'm always putting drills and, and film on there. Uh, I offer some webinars, too. You can find on the website, coachcasio.com, and – um, and one of my favorite parts about coaching has been traveling across the country and working with, um, whether there's just watching their practice and, and integrating some of our practice stuff, or actually just rolling out the offensive system or defensive system and, and taking them step-by-step step A to Z. So, um, always love talking with coaches. Uh, so I encourage you guys to reach out to me. Coach clicked out for just a second there, so let me just tell you what you missed is those clinics that he was referring to, you need to go to those. Uh, we had Coach into our school and, and did a clinic actually just for us the way it turned out, um, and, I mean, it was it was awesome. But then we ended up going up and seeing him again up in, up in Charlotte, and it's one of those things where I, I felt a whole lot more comfortable the second time around than I did the first time, but I still was picking up things that I had missed the first time. So if you can get to at least one or two of those. Somebody did ask, Is uh, I'm guessing tentatively you have some things scheduled for this summer, World Health? Yeah, so I was supposed to be in Chicago uh, first weekend in April, the weekend of the Final Four. We canceled that. Um, we're trying to reschedule that. Um, also looking at doing something in New Jersey in May. Um, as of now, that's the travel that I have lined up. But um, I've had a lot of people reach out for webinars. I've got a couple big projects that I'm knocking out this weekend. And hopefully next week I can sit down and iron out some time uh, to get some webinars going because those are always really fun. Um, I know I cut out last time, but I, I'd say the, the number one thing that I've really enjoyed the past year is just meeting coaches all over the country and building relationships. It's been, it's been really awesome. Uh, and then did I see correctly, you're going to be speaking the virtual coaching clinic on May 30th or excuse me, March 30th. Yeah. March 30th. Um, I'm sure we'll get into some offense. I, I, you know, when I was picking my topic, I thought, you know, driving space offense was, was a no brainer, but I saw a lot of great coaches already talking about dribble drive, which is very similar to what we do. Um, so really what I'm going to focus on is the implementation of it. So if you've got a base knowledge, um, we're going to look at some practice drills, uh, concepts that we use and, uh, and how we, we fit it all together to where we can dedicate a whole lot of time to shooting and skill development, uh, but still teach offense and defense at the same time. Uh, coach, thanks so much for joining us tonight and for, uh, being willing to try this out with me. Yeah. Awesome. It was fun, man. You're the man. I appreciate you. A quick timeout podcast is brought to you by 323 sports. 
If you're looking for a team dealer with great prices, top-of-the-line apparel, and second-to-none customer service, then 323 Sports has to be your choice. 323 Sports will do it right for you and your sports program. Visit 323sports.com or contact sales at 323sports.com to get in contact with a team rep today. Just really quickly, if you haven't heard yet about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will even distribute your podcast to Spotify and Apple Podcasts and other platforms so your show actually gets heard. You can even make money from your podcast no matter the size of your audience. It really is everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That'll do it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again at the next time out.